From Nashville, Tennessee, it's the weekly Grace Church Nashville podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Grace Church Nash and use the hashtag located in the podcast description. And now, here's this week's message. Are we living out the faith we claim to believe? I love that question. Do you, there's a, there's going to be a return. I'm just declaring this right now. A return this year to the fear of the Lord. To the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. When I got saved, I was saved into the fear of the Lord. I read those verses as Jesus saying, Lord, many of you say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done this, this, and that in your name? And he says, depart from me. Those, those verses put the fear of God in my heart. And I believe this year, this, the church as a whole, the church, Grace Church, is going to return to the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. Come on. These verses and most of James is written with kind of an in-your-face, matter-of-fact style of writing. It's very practical, very to the point. It's, uh, it's one of those books where... You know when you don't know what you want to read in the morning and you're kind of like flipping and then put your finger on it. It's like one of those books you hope you don't land on because it kind of like gets under your skin a little bit. I know some of you guys did that this week. But we need that, don't we? We need that. We need that kind of in your face. Like, you know, I love you, but you need to straighten up kind of love. We need that right now. We don't need people being yes people to us, right? We need somebody getting under our skin a little bit. That's what Pastor, that's what he just, he set such a great foundation for me going into the church with the, with the expectation that, listen, not everybody in this church is going to be your best friend. Not everybody in this church is going to be your favorite person, right? Anywhere you go. And if you're looking for a perfect church, if you're looking for somewhere that's going to please everything and check all your boxes, you're not going to find it, Right? Book of James gets under our skin a little bit. But what's his goal? His goal is for us to walk this thing out. Right? We go to, we go to youth camp every summer. We go to the ramp where Pastor Cooley, I guess, is, was or is going to be. And, uh, and these kids come back on fire and excited. And it's wonderful and it's great and it's magical and it's Holy Spirit filled. And, and everybody's on a mountaintop. But, but my heart for those kids... Pastor Cooley, Pastor Larry's heart for this church is that you have a walk that is sustainable year in and year out. That you're not going from mountaintop to valley and you're not going from living in holiness to living in sin and back into holiness and back into sin. No, we need a steady people to set an example for a lost and a dying world. So we're going to talk about that this morning. How do you know that you're saved? Do your words line up with the Jesus that you profess to serve? What have you done lately in response to your faith in Jesus? Before I do that, I want to preface this by saying some of the verses I'm going to read, they can be a little bit challenging because James kind of goes into this, what, what maybe we could consider works-based salvation, though that's not what he's preaching Right, and it's a, it can be or feel a little bit in contrast to Paul, who says that we're fa- saved what by grace through faith, right? And so there's a, there's a little bit of friction there. Paul says grace by faith, 
through faith. And James says, what? Be a doer. Right? So some of us live by grace through faith, and we let that influence the way we act, right, and the things that we do, right? A little bit more liberal in the way that we live, right? And then some of us are doers, like James says, and it influences our attitudes towards other people. Martin Luther has this famous quote, this famous illustration. He says, the church is like a drunken peasant. It keeps falling, climbing on the donkey and falling off on one side. Then he climbs back on and falls off on the other side, right? Some of us, by grace through faith, live in a way of breaking God's commands, right? And it's all grace. And some of us, like James, we're doers and we're breaking God's heart, looking down on people, saying, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I'm more righteous than you. We're either immoral or self-righteous, right? So buckle up, all you drunken peasants. (laughs) We're going to get you saved. (laughs) Some of you are literal drunken peasants. You need to stop drinking and getting drunk, right? And some of you are drunk on your own self-righteousness, right? I've been there. It's okay. So we're going to start reading. That's why we need the gospel. The gospel centers us, right? Keeps us stable and steady. Gives us a right perspective about ourselves. Doesn't get us too high and doesn't take us too low, right? So we're going to read from James 1 verse 19. I'm going to be reading from the New King James. So if you want to turn there, I think we'll have it up on the screen. From the New King James. So if you have a different version, just follow along the best you can. We'll try to get you saved by the end of this. I'm just kidding. Hey, listen, you need to read different versions of the Bible. You know, read different versions. I started in the New King James, and I, I like the NIV, the NLT. I read from the Passion Translation, the Message. Don't tell anybody. Okay? Read different versions. All right? It'll give you good perspective. All right. Verse 19, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. How many of you want to be blessed in what you do? If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. How many of you know your religion can be useless without effect? Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. 
For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, You sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, You stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Quiet back there, Tatum. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Everybody say hallelujah. 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 So four points I'm going to cover this morning. Four points. The word, hearing, receiving, and doing. Everybody say the word, word. hearing, Hearing. receiving, Receiving. and doing. If I were to read from the beginning of this book, it would start out like many other books in the New Testament, written kind of as a letter. But as we go on, it reads not much like a letter at all, but a collection of short sayings and discussions on more practical topics. Many people compare the book of James to the wisdom writing found in the Old Testament in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We get these short kind of pithy sayings, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, stop sinning. Hear and receive the implanted word. Do what it says. Don't forget what you look like. Don't be partial in any way. What's James getting at with these one-liners? He's saying, listen, if anyone knows what it looks like to be in right standing with God, it's me. James is saying, it's me. I know what it looks like. Think about this with me. James, do you know who James was? Pastor Larry covered it last week. He was Jesus' what? brother, right? Half brother, born of the same mother. Think about that. We're not talking about a colleague, right? How many of you have colleagues in here? People you work with, right? You see every now and then, right? Do they really know who you are? Do they really know what your life is about? Right? Not really. I have colleagues, right? They know some things about my life, a few things, but not, not really much at all, right? So we're not, t- we're not, James isn't just a colleague of Jesus. He's also not even just a friend, right? We all have friends. Most of us have friends, I guess, in here, right? We all have friends. And, and what do friends know about us? Friends, really, in my opinion, they know about as much as I want them to know about me, right? We give them about as much as we're comfortable with from ourselves, right? But James, not just a friend, he's the brother of Jesus, right? My brother's sitting back there. He knows more than I'd like him to tell you all about me, right? A lot more. All right, before I was saved, I snuck out of the house one night. I probably shouldn't tell the story. My, my parents were on a vacation. My grandma was in town. And uh, I snuck out. I put some pillows under the bed and snuck out of the window. <laughs> this is bad. 
and I'm out, you know, 20 miles down the road, drove off. You know, I was like, my grandma, she's like, surely she won't know. You know, my parents are in, in Mexico. And, uh, and, and sure enough, I get a call. And uh, it's my nanny. And uh, she said, Derek, AJ went up into your room. He said, nanny, Derek's not in his room. <laughs> Your brothers, right, they know more about your life than you want them to know sometimes. They see you. In fact, in the most first two decades of your life, I mean, my brothers and I are three or four years apart, like, they see you morning, noon, and night, right? They know you. If anybody knows you, they know you. James knew Jesus. They know if you're a morning person. They know if you're a night owl. They know your idiosyncrasies, what you like, what you dislike, your ways and your preferences. And guess what? James truly witnessed the life of Jesus, especially the the part of Jesus' life that really the Bible speaks very little about. In those two decades of our lives, you could potentially say we're making more mistakes than we're ever going to make, right? We're messing up. We're failing more. We're falling more than we ever will in our life, right? We're growing, we're changing. Yet in James's witness of Jesus, he never once ever saw sinful aggression. He never once saw jealousy. He never once saw an outburst of wrath. He never once saw envy. He never once saw immorality of any kind, No idolatry, no dissension, no selfish ambition, no division, no drunkenness. Not one time ever. All he saw from his brother was absolute and complete, total perfection. James was there watching, observing, experiencing what it looked like to live a life of perfect obedience. Perfect submission to the will of the Father. To love him perfectly. Are we living out the faith that we claim to believe? Are we hearers only or doers? I'd say James has pretty good perspective on what this is supposed to look like. Do you agree? And what's so unique about this is despite James's first-hand eyewitness of Jesus' life, and despite the fact that James was actually a, a, a later leader Of Jerusalem Christians, he was evidently not a follower of his own brother during Jesus' public ministry. Most believe he wasn't converted until the appearance of Christ at his resurrection. What does that tell us? It tells us that your life matters. The reflection of the full gospel in your life matters, not the partial gospel. Not one part of the gospel. Not one part of God's word. Your entire life. The way from when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night. The representation of Jesus Christ in your heart and in your life matters. Not just to your family, but to your friends, your colleagues, your church. For everybody in your life, it matters the way you live, the things that you say, the way you act, your attitudes, your ambitions, the way that you work. Everything matters. Nothing is without effect in your life. The witness in your life that Jesus died, he rose, ascended into heaven, then he's coming back again. 
and the reality and the truth that actually influences the entirety of who you are should be the gospel of Jesus Christ day in and day out. This isn't a game we're playing. This isn't a simulation. This is heaven and hell. I try to remind myself every time I get up here and talk to the church that I'm not looking at this this obscure group of people. Each and every one of you have lives that matter. Each and every one of you on the day of judgment is going to face him alone. And he's either going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. You're a worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Your co-workers are going to hear the same thing. Your sons and your daughters are going to hear the same thing. Your parents, your brothers and sisters, your aunts and your uncles. Your life matters. How you live before them matters. I read a story recently by a pastor. His name's John Tyson. And he, uh, he was telling a story about a, a Carmelite nun named St. Therese Martin. St. Therese Martin. And he shares... She became a nun in the late 19th century when she was 15 years old. And she did nothing that we would describe as heroic. She lived an obscure life, cloistered in a cloistered monastery in a small town in France, and she died of tuberculosis at 24. He goes on to say, she was canonized as a saint and recognized as a doctor of the church by Pope John Paul in 1997. And St. Pope St. Pius called her the greatest saint in modern times. Why? Tyson shares that she was in touch with reality. She realized that she was not gifted in such a way as to become famous. She didn't have a public persona to be an influencer in her days. Instead, she resolved to live a small life, the way of love. She wrote, for me to become great is impossible. I must bear with myself and my many imperfections. She described herself as neither capable or called of great feats of public witness. Tyson continues, the truth be told, most of us are not called to great feats of public witness. Regardless of what the media tells us, a few likes on Instagram or TikTok promises, most of us will live small lives. Local lives, known by a community we see day in and day out, and maybe even at times we wish we could escape. Yet Therese resolved to live where she could, how she could. She resolved to filter everything she did through the lens of God's love. She resolved to honor God and love others in every interaction. I think it's safe to say that she was a doer. And her life was evidence. So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we become doers of the word and not just hearers only? First, the word. Everybody say the word. word. You here with me? You doing okay? Now you stop yelling? All right. Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The The word. James says it's the implanted word that's able to save us. The lamp unto your feet. Guiding you on the path of life is what? The word. Right? In the beginning was what? The word. It all starts, continues, and ends with the word of God. But what do I mean by the word? Two things. Two things. One, the written word. The written word. 
God's statutes, his decrees, his testimonies, his commands, his precepts, and his laws. The written word. And number two, what? The spoken word. The spoken word. Christ. Hebrews 1 says what? It says, God at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past by the fathers to the fathers by the prophets. What's he saying? He gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Through David, he offered, authored most of the Psalms, Solomon, the Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. He gave prophetic utterance through the major and minor prophets. God's written word, his prophetic word. But in these last days, how has God spoken to us? Come on, somebody. By his son. By his son. I love Bill, Bill Johnson. He says, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He's spoken to us by his son. Come on, Galatians says the law is the tutor that leads us to Christ. Right? The law is the tutor that leads us to Christ. It reminds us of our fallen nature, our sinfulness, our depravity, and our need for a savior. So we have the word, the written word, and the the spoken word, the whole counsel of God's word, God's written word and spoken word authored by who? The Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, as Donald Trump says, the letter, that was was a joke. It's okay. Did y'all hear that? That was pretty funny when he said that. (laughs) In 2 Corinthians... (laughs) The Bible says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Listen, reading the Bible without the Holy Spirit will bury you under the weight of expectation. Jesus says to the, he says to the people in, in the Sermon on the Mount, which Pastor referenced uh, last week. He says, unless you are perfect, unless you are perfect. Unless you are perfect, right? Reading the Bible without the Holy Spirit will kill you. It will bury you. How do I know? Because I, I pretty much did it for the first three or four years I was saved. I, the Holy Spirit was with me, but I was reading it. And the weight of expectation, the standard that God's word set for my life Produced a weight that I could not carry. I could not carry. Paul says the same thing, right? The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Who can help me? Who can help us? Jesus. He did it, right? He did it. Jesus said to the Jews in John eight forty three, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. John 6 says the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoke to you are spirit and are life. The foundation for your life bearing evidence that, the, that you truly believe what you say believe you believe is God's word. So why is the word of God so crucial in our life? James uses this analogy of a mirror. Everyone know what a mirror does? All right, let me help you if you don't. I wake up in the morning and I go to the mirror and what are the first few things that I see? Right, I see like some extra nose hairs. I'm 34 now, hair's grown on my ears. 
right, the side of my hair, head growing hair faster than the top of my head, mostly too much hair in the wrong places and not enough hair in the right places, right? <laughs> my second chin is starting to show itself. It's been hiding for a while, but... So what do I immediately see? What do I immediately see when I look at... There's some work to be done, Derek, right, if Alexis is going to have a couple more babies with me. Like, <laughs> We've got some work to do. Right? It's shown me that, that there's, a, there's some imperfections, despite what I might, might think. Right? There's some areas of improvement. Right? But what does that same mirror show us when we go look at it? Right? It shows my chest moving in and out as I'm breathing a little bit. It shows my eyes blinking. Right? It shows my hands moving around when I'm popping a pimple. Right? Y'all are laughing, but y'all do the same thing, <laughs> right? It's showing me that I'm, a, I'm still alive. Thank God I'm alive, <laughs> right? It's the same mirror that's showing me, the same mirror of the word that's showing me that there's things to be improved in my life is also showing me that, that, that me being alive, right, is not just dependent upon me improving. It's, it's really Jesus who makes me alive. It's his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return that makes me alive, right? It sh- the word of God shows us the good and the bad. Come on, somebody. The, the Hebrew says the Bible is what? A, the word of God is a two-edged sword, two-edged sword. Listen, this word, it cuts and stitches up. It divides and it brings unity. It wounds and it heals. It kills and it makes alive. It casts down and it raises up. It humbles and it exalts. It hardens hearts and softens hearts. Come on, somebody. It judges and reveals mercy. We cannot run from this word if we expect to endure in these last days. This word has to be written on our hearts. The challenge most of us have, if we're honest, is the tension that the word of God brings into our own life. But listen, tension, don't run from tension. Tension is good. We need to stop running from tension in the Bible. I read this the other day. This guy said, Theology 101, orthodoxy. Do you know what orthodoxy means? It means of being of right doctrinal or scriptural opinion. Orthodoxy involves holding several truths in tension. You having a right view of the scriptures, of the Bible... Right of the written word and of the spoken word is going to require you to hold a few things in tension, right? To hold some mystery in your life, to be okay with not knowing everything, and that does that's okay. That's not a bad thing. You're gonna you're gonna have to be comfortable with maybe having some questions, right? Orthodoxy involves holding several truths in tension. Heresy relieves that tension. We start down the road of becoming heretics and lost when we pick from the Bible the things that we like and understand and discount or get rid of the rest. That's when we start down the road of heresy. 
I love what Corey Tinboom says. This is good. She says, don't worry about what you do not understand in the Bible. Worry about what you do understand, but don't live by. I'm going to say it again. Don't, too many of us these days, listen, this is, this is the, the chief deflection I get if I evangelize. If I want to tell somebody about Jesus, people want to deflect and go to the things that they don't understand immediately. Right, and what are they doing? They're just—they're just trying to, to to push the lifestyle that they want to live, the way that they want to live, the sin that they want to continue to, to live in. They want to push that under the rug and deflect to something else, something theological, something mysterious, something that that we could converse about for days, right? So that they can continue to justify the way that they're living, right? Corey Tinboom, again, don't worry about what you do not understand in the Bible. Worry about what you do understand, but don't live by. So now we know this morning the word of God is our foundation. But there's another step. Everybody say hearing. Hearing. Everybody didn't say hearing. Everybody say hearing. There we go. All right. You here with me? Doing okay? James doesn't just say hear or listen, but he says, be quick to hear. Other translations use words like swift or be careful to hear or be thoughtful hearers. This statement about being quick to listen isn't original to James. Proverbs 4.20 says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart for their life to those who find them and health to one's body. Jesus says in Luke 8, 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. John six forty five says, anyone who has heard and learned from the Father has learned from me. Psalm 85 8 says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. John 8 47, whoever hears is of God. Whoever, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. John 10 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Hearing is vital in the process of becoming a doer. Hearing is vital in the process of becoming a doer. How will you know what to do if you don't listen? How will I know where anything is in my house unless I don't listen to my wife? Tell me where it is. Can all the women say amen? Amen. But it's not just hearing. Everybody say with me the third point. Receiving. 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 Again, we have the word. We have to hear it. But that's not enough. What do you mean? In Mark 6.20, the Bible said Herod listened to John the Baptist gladly. Mark 6.20 says, For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Come on, many people these days are happy to hear the word of God. But what did Herod do to John the Baptist? He beheaded him. It's not just hearing. 
Jesus says in Luke 18, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Why? Because from your heart flow what? The issues of life, right? The, the hard thing about walking this thing out with the Lord is there's, all, there's a fence that tries to get built up in our hearts, right? And all of a sudden, the filter for us hearing the word of God becomes contaminated with the offense, the, the unforgiveness, right? Mark 15, again, he called the people and he said to them, hear and understand. Hear, everybody say hear, and understand. There's a parable, the parable of the sower. And the Bible says in this parable that each person hears the parable. Each person hears the word. Think about that, each person There's only one person that produces fruit, but each of them hear it. You can hear the word of God and still not produce fruit. That's that's scary. You can hear the word of God and still not produce fruit in your life. Each person hears, and the Bible even says, even they receive it. But Jesus is pointing, pointing to the condition of their hearts. Three of them, the seed is snatched away, causes stumbling, or unfruitfulness. Only one of them produces fruit. This is what James is saying to us in these verses. It's not enough just to hear. It's not enough just for you to sit here. I don't, if your church attendance is perfect. And you sit here under the ministry of the word. And hear it day in and day out. That's not enough. That's, I don't care what anybody. You may feel good about yourself. Because your friend only comes as a creaster on Christmas and Easter. Right? Your colleagues, they only go once a month. Right? You're coming at, but that's not enough. If you want to be doers, it's not enough just to hear. You must receive the word with meekness, softness of heart, a willingness, a sensitiveness, a humility. And not just once, but consistently with faithfulness. How do we do this? How do, we, how do we become those people who sit under the ministry of the word of God, of the written word, and of Jesus, the spoken word, and receive it with meekness and humility? There's a part I skipped over, but it gives us a clue. Verse 21 says what? It says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Another version says, so this is why we abandon everything morally impure in all forms of wicked conduct. It gets me to the fourth point. Doing involves giving up something. Say that with me. Doing involves me giving up something. Whenever you're saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else. If if I say yes to tithing, I'm saying no to greed. Right? If I'm going to say yes to giving 10% of my gross income, not net, y'all know the difference? All right. Yes to tithing, right? No to greed. If I'm going to say yes to forgiveness, I'm going to have to say no to having offense built up in my heart. Doing involves giving up something. If I'm going to say yes to love, I'm going to say no to fear. 
Yes to faithfulness, no to flightiness. To be a doer, I must give up something. Listen, I, I have never... I was trying to think about this. I've never witnessed a genuine example of salvation where that person did not have to give up something. If you have, let me know. I've never seen it. I've never seen somebody say yes to Jesus and not have to leave something behind. Peter and Andrew gave up their fishing business. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they gave up their fishing business and they left their family. Paul left the highest position of religious royalty in Judaism. John the Baptist gave up a normal life. That guy was not normal. Mary gave up her reputation and her body. John 15, Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command. Matthew 16, 21, anyone, anyone who wants to be my disciple. Listen, therein lies the inclusivity of the gospel. The world wants us to be inclusive. There it is. You're all invited. Anyone. Everybody's invited. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Therein lies the exclusivity of the gospel. Anyone can come, but only those who let go of one habit? No. Two habits? No. Three habits? No. Your life. Your life. Deny, take up your cross, and follow me. Being a doer requires you to say yes to God's word. To build your house on the rock, not on the sand. So how, how do we know if we're being doers of God's word. How do we know that we're living out what we claim to believe? I'll give you some practical things. Number one, listen, if you're, you have perfect church attendance, I love that. <laughs> like, that's great. Good job. Part of living out what you claim to believe is sitting under the ministry of God's word faithfully. It's about being a part of a local body. It's about being a part of a group of people, some of which you you probably like, you enjoy hanging out with, and some of which probably rub you the wrong way, right? But not just sitting under the ministry of God's word within the church, but also when you're alone. It's about, David says, what does he say in Psalm 119? He says, how do I keep myself pure? According to your word, I've hidden your commands in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Listen, are God's commands hidden in your heart? Do you delight in the word of God? 
Is it, is it a joy to you for the most part? I'm not saying his word doesn't cut us sometimes, but is it a joy for you to read the word of God, to sit under the ministry of the preaching and teaching of the word of God? If that's a joy to you for the most part, that's a pretty good sign that you're on the right path of being a doer. What else? We receive that word even when it hurts. Listen, my wife tells me things, some things that I want to hear and some things that I don't want to hear. And guess what? I'm a better person because of it. Pastor Cooley for 14 years in this church has told me some things that I want to hear from the word of God and other things that were really challenging to me. And guess what? I'm a better person because of it. If you've got friends, if you've got people that are just yes people in your life, you're probably, any growth in your life can probably not be attributed to them. It's the people that are, you know, kind of rubbing you the wrong way sometimes. Whether it's a word from a pastor, our spouse, a friend, we let it cut us knowing and believing that God is faithful to bind us up. He's faithful to heal us. What else? We act upon the word of God faithfully. Our lives and our actions mirror the commands of Jesus and how to live. And this gets back to these two groups of people. Listen, there's some of you in this room, you're not living according to his commands. What am, I'm literally talking about the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Right? You're, you don't, you're breaking them constantly, habitually. Right? You're not, you're not, you're living unfaithful, immoral, immoral, unrighteous lives. Part of being a doer is saying no to that stuff. Pastor Cooley always says, get rid of it. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to, to, to resolve it with how you feel or what you think. Get rid of it. Get lay aside all filthiness, all immorality, James says. And then we've got this other group over here of people that they, they on the outside, follow the Ten Commandments, right? They, they live according to the law, right? But they think more highly of themselves than they ought, right? It's the guy that goes into the temple of the parable and he says, Lord, thank God I'm not like that person, what does Jesus say about him? You're not righteous. Who, who's the one that he says is righteous? The one that says, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And if that's you, right? In Romans, it says, think, don't think more highly of yourself than you are. Live with an attitude of humility. Live with an awareness of your inability to be perfect. Your inability to measure up, even though you outwardly keep the law of God, your inability to measure up to the standard that God has set, which isn't 99% obedience. It's not 99. Point, it's 100% obedience. One person did that. And he is our righteousness. And when you live from that place, that's a place where you live with humility. And that's why James goes into the way that you treat people is evidence of you being a doer. 
When I walk into a place and the first person I want to greet, the first person I want to go talk to is that one person in the room that can help me advance my career, advance my life, achieve my objectives. You're not being a doer. You're offering the person. You're, it's, it's about you. It's about me. This is the person that can get me to where I want to go. They can help me take the next step up that ladder. No, when you walk into a room and you greet everybody the same way, when you offer the least of these the highest seat at the table, what are you, what are you saying with your actions and with your heart? You're saying, we're the same. We're the same. We need him. We need him. I need him like you need him. You can't offer me anything. But guess what? I can't offer you anything else except for him. Just him. Just Jesus. He's the only one that can get us ultimately to where we want to go. That's to be with him forever. It's just him. We grow in the fruit of the spirit. Not just obeying the commands outwardly. Listen. The fruit of the Spirit in your life is mostly going to be seen in private. Amongst your family, right? When your hair's not completely done, when your outfit's not completely perfect, right? On a Saturday morning when, when you want your spouse to make the, the breakfast and to do the dishes and to take care of the kids and you want to lay on your back on the couch and do nothing, but you choose otherwise, you choose to die to yourself. Most of us are going to live local lives amongst a community of people. Most of us are not going to do great feats, right? And the fruit of the Spirit in your life, amongst your family, amongst the church, amongst the people that you live life with day in and day out, they're going to be the ones to see that. What, what's the last way that you really, really know that you're being a doer of the word? I think you find yourself asking different questions. You find yourself asking different questions. What do I mean? Lord, what would you have me do? What do you want from me today? What direction do you want me to go? Who can I serve? How can I lay down my life? What can I give up? I need you. I need you. I need you. That's how you know. And what's your answer? Always yes. I want you to do this. Yes, Lord. I want you to go this way. Yes, Lord. I trust you. Yes, Lord. I need you. Yes, Lord. You're my only hope. Because I love you. Like Peter, where else have we to go? You have the words of eternal life. Is that your heart this morning? Is that where you're at with the Lord? If it is, then good. Keep going. You're on the right track. There may be more things that God wants to prune from your life. That's okay. But it's evidence that you're walking with him. Some of you may say, actually, Derek, that doesn't describe my life at all. I've, I've literally never asked the Lord for his advice. <laughs> I've literally never said, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? It's never even been a thought. Well, I'm glad you're here. 
I mean that. The question of, on your heart might be, what should I do? Like the jailer, what can I do to be saved? What do I need to give up? Well, Jesus, first and foremost, says, come to me. Come to me. And usually, coming to him does require you laying something down. First and foremost, most of the time, it's your pride and your ego. That's the first thing. It's your willingness to say, I, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't gain salvation on my own. I can't do the right things to earn his love. There's literally nothing of righteousness inside of me. All my good works are filthy rags. That takes humility. <laughs> and it's saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me, change me, make me new. Give me a new heart and a new mind. I repent for living selfishly. I repent for living in sin, for breaking your, not just your commands, but breaking your heart. And I repent for not listening to you. So if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to come meet one of the prayer people. They want to pray for you. This is how you get saved. You confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's Him. He, for all the good things, all the doing in your entire life, all the wonderful acts of service, all the mercy, all the offense that you let go of, all the forgiveness that you offer when you face Him, and God says, why? Why, why should you be in heaven? Your only answer is it's just Jesus. It's just Him. It's literally just Him. It's just Him. He's my only righteousness. He's my only defense. It's just Him. That's your answer. And guess what? When, when you believe that and you know that, you, there is no doubt in my mind you become not just a hearer of the word, not just a receiver of the word, but you do the word. You will. You can't help but do the word. You can't help but lay aside the things that you used to do. So, Lord, we love you this morning with all of our heart, God. And if there's any part of our heart, God, that we haven't given to you, if there's anything that we've held back, if there's anything, Lord, that we've said no to instead of saying yes to, Lord, we just help us to align our answers with your answer in your son. Yes and amen. Yes and amen, Lord. Yes and amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace Church, you can visit us online at gracechurchnashville.com and find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gracechurchnash. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.